Welcome to the MuseCast, where we squeeze every last drop of inspiration out of Sunday's sermon. Hey everybody, Dan Kent here. Uh, Shauna, we're going to give Shauna the week to rest her voice. Uh, Boy, what a weekend. I, I hope uh, some of you were able to join us for the Music Fest this weekend and for the Q&A and uh, for my sermon on Sunday. And uh, I got a lot to talk about, so I want to just get right to it. I, I want to just do a little summary of uh, my sermon on Sunday. The sermon was called Raveling Truth. And since uh, we've just been on this series, Unraveling Truth, I thought the best way to wrap up that series would be to call it Raveling Truth in the hopes that we could wrap it all up put a bow on it and uh, leave everyone with something to uh, think about the whole series and to bring the whole series into some type of useful focus. And to start off with, I, I wanted to share this clip from the Twilight Zone and because it just, it really, um, it, it just, I kept thinking about this clip from the Twilight Zone as we've been doing the series. And it's, the episode is called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. It's from 1961. And it's about this, this, uh, army major who wakes up in this round room one time. He has no idea how he got there. He just wakes up in this round, small room. It's like the size of a living room. And there are these four other characters there there's a clown there's a ballerina there's a uh, bagpipe player and there's a hobo and the all of them had the same experience they just woke up in this place and they have no idea what this place is uh where they came from who they are um and uh yeah and so i i just felt like that's it really captures the sense of thrownness that we have in life. And uh, the, the word thrownness, that, that idea comes from uh, Heidegger, uh, from his book, Being and Nothingness. <laughs> it's not uh, casual reading. It's uh, I, I read large parts of it. I have no idea what he's even talking about. And I'm a philosophy major. So, you know, for whatever that's worth. But anyway, uh, this this clip, it just it really captured uh, the. Um, the sense of thrownness, it just captured the sense that we're made for something else. It captures this idea that we're all in this together. And and I just thought it was a, a really uh, fun way to kind of start off this idea as we look at what we've been talking about in this Unraveling Truth series, where we're looking at all these obstacles that, that uh, people have you know, between them and God and, uh, the, the things that are causing people to leave the faith and, uh, to leave Jesus and, and, and stuff like that. I really worked the whole sermon around this idea of the river of truth and, um, and the river of truth just kind of looks at, uh, kind of how these ideas that we talked about kind of relate together. And it starts with the question, is there truth at all? Is truth absolute or is it relative? Um, and once you come to the point where you can trust that there is truth, then you have to ask the question, well, you know, how do I get at that? And and uh, and so in this series, uh, Emily and I uh, wrestled with science and faith and reason and stuff like that. And then as you go down the river, you've, you've come to trust in truth. You've come to trust your faculties that you can ascertain some truth. And then you float down the river a little bit further and you ask, well, can I... Can I know that God exists? And so then you wrestle with that. And, and we looked at, uh, you know, why people don't believe in God. And Greg offered some arguments about why people do. And, um, and he also argued that God is relational. And so we came to trust that God exists and that God is relational. So then you float down the river a little bit more and you see that, uh, 
God is so relational, in fact, that he actually became a person to have this intimate relationship with humanity. Uh, and so he became a human in Jesus. And so then we wrestled with that. You know, can we trust that Jesus is actually God, like he says? And uh, we came to believe that Jesus is everything that Jesus says he is, and he is everything that the Gospels say he is. Uh, in fact, he is... Uh, 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 you know, doing something here for God. He's he's rising up this church, this this relational kind of body that will be uh, kind of God's kingdom. It will be God's people, and um, and so we looked at some of the challenges with the church and. Uh, Cedric and Chris Beckert both kind of offered some insights about how uh, the church keeps people from believing and why we can still trust in what God is doing in the church. And then we looked at the Bible itself, you know, uh, you know, this is where we get our most clear revelation of, of, of Christ on the cross, which is the clearest revelation of who God is. And so uh, we have this special revelation and, and we looked at whether or not we can trust that. And Greg, a couple of weeks ago, said probably the, the biggest challenge uh, to trusting in the scripture is the fact that the God of the Old Testament looks very different than the God of the New Testament. And so uh, he argued that despite that, we can, in fact, trust the Bible. And um, and then what I argued with all of that is you go down that river of truth, you trust in truth, you trust in God, you trust in Jesus, you trust in the Bible. Now what? What do we do with that? And what I argued is that when you go down that river and you get to the Bible, what you find in there is this invitation for us to take all of that trust and to act on it and to uh, step into this offer that God is offering us in the scriptures, this offer of uh, covenant relationship. God is inviting us into this relationship with uh, God and with his people and that's what we're supposed to do with it. We're supposed to make the choice to step into that relationship. And so I talked a little bit about um, uh, the difference, the different types of relationships. Uh, we're invited into this covenant, and uh, and this covenant relationship is very different than um, kind of most of the relationships that we have in the world. We tend to have contract relationships in the world where God is inviting into this covenant relationship. And uh, really kind of the, the closest thing that we have to covenant relationships still today are probably marriage covenants. But unfortunately, even marriage covenants have sort of decompensated uh, into sort of pseudo contracts now. Um, but, you know, I have this little chart here that if you can pause and look at the difference between covenants and contracts, it's a nice little summary. Uh, and then uh, I just, you know, I, I closed the sermon off by talking about my big doubt, which is um, just how insignificant planet Earth seems in the universe and also how uh, insignificant I feel when I recognize how many people there are in the world. And that's even uh, amplified when I realize how many people have existed in the world uh, for since the beginning. And it, it's just it, it can be overwhelming to see how many people there are. And and it prompts this haunting sort of question, like, can God really care about me in the in the midst of all of this? How can I be at all significant? And so I just showed how going back to the river of truth helps me take that doubt, which just swells, especially if I'm in rush hour traffic or if I'm in a stadium and there's, you know, 
50,000 people in there that just that doubt just swells. And so I showed how going back to the river of truth helps me to kind of deflate that doubt and to put it back into its proper uh, size and to put it in its proper context. Um, and that's basically the sermon. Um, I, I think I hit all of the big things. A couple quick things I want to talk about, though. The first one, I, I did talk about how we are fundamentally social. And um, and I did a quick nod uh, to my book, Confident Humility, in Chapter 8, uh, really focuses on this idea that we are fundamentally social. But just to give you a, a tease from that, you know, how I introduce that idea is I, I just ask, you know, imagine if you woke up tomorrow and there was nobody else in the world. It was just you. <laughs> and uh, you don't know what happened, but everywhere you look, there's nobody anywhere. There's nobody in the stores. There's nobody in cars. There's there's nobody on the radio. You, you check social media. Nobody's posting anything. And you call all of your friends, nobody answers. And everywhere you go, there's just nobody. And you're the only one there. And um, now, of course, there's the normal things that happen where, you know, people have been known to kind of go insane if they don't have that human contact. And uh, I think there's a Tom Hanks movie where he gets um, uh, stranded on an island by himself and he becomes friends with a volleyball just because he needs that social kind of dimension in his life. Wilson, that was the volleyball's name. Uh, but beyond that, if you just think about yourself, if you suddenly were the last person alive, think about, I mean, there's a lot of questions to think about, but the, the, the question that really kind of elucidates what I'm getting at here is think about how you would view yourself as you came to realize that you are the last person on earth and like, what would you like? Would you worry about that? Your hair looks good. You know, would you suck in your gut? Would you uh, care about a pimple or whatever? Would you, would you really have that, that whole self-consciousness, you know, I would propose would sort of dissipate if there is nobody else there because so much of how we view ourselves we view ourselves through the lens of other people and um and i, I just think that's that's uh uh just that's how fundamental fundamentally social we are and the fact that god made us that way uh and the fact that god also is fundamentally social that there's just this deep need and this this it, the importance of the context of others is is just so um uh vital to that um and yeah so god is calling us into uh this agape love covenant relationship now that's different than you know the relationships that we've had. So I, what, one of the things I do in the book is I, I talk about the difference between uh, covenant and contract relationships again. And I have this drawing that I did when I worked at um, Planet Hollywood. And Planet Hollywood was just nuts back then. This is in the 90s while I was in college. Uh, this was when I was in Paul Eddy's covenant class and i was first learning about uh, corporate solidarity and covenant communities and and uh, as i was like between bussing tables i decided to take this kids menu and draw this picture on the back of what an agape society would look like and so if you imagine these circles being uh people and uh these arrows then represent our agape love for one another and what happens i think is as we are in community and we have this agape love for one another i think that that creates this profound bond between us where each of us have other oriented self-sacrificial choice-based love or the way i like to say it uh, other oriented 
oriented, uh, uh, choice based with the potential for self sacrifice. Uh, and when we have that posture toward one another, uh, perpetually, uh, trust in a trusting way where we just naturally are like that, that, that state creates, I think, really profound bonds. And, and that's the, that's the type of relationship that covenant relationship is based on that agape love. Um, now, of course, we, don't live in that type of community. We're called into that community and, and God expects us to grow into that, but we're all at various stages of that. And most of us, uh, have lived our lives fully entrenched in something very different than that agape love society. We've grown up in what I call contract society. And so just for contrast, I drew what contract society would look like. And you can see, you know, it's just this sort of sad mishmash of, uh, certain contractual relationships. Uh, it's these sort of transient bonds. There are these shallow sorts of, uh, relationships. And you, you notice how, uh, in this type of society, yeah, we might ha- find a contract that meets some of our needs and might be beneficial to us, but ultimately everyone is fundamentally alone. And when you look at these two drawings, and I know these are just drawings. But they kind of capture the point. When you look at these two side by side, you just see how strong agape love covenant community is compared to this mishmash of contract society that we're all familiar with. And, you know, uh, that that's what we're called into. And, and when you look at the agape love society, you take any one of those people. And they have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 people are concerned for you. Uh, whereas in contract society, if you find a beneficial contract, you might have one person concerned for you, but it, that's based on whether or not you can provide value to them in return. And so really in contract society, everybody is fundamentally alone. And that's why God is calling us into something much more profound, much more stable, much more uh, fulfilling, and um, and just much more radical and it's it just feels like we're made for this agape love community. Uh <clears throat> the other thing I, I thought about talking about, um, but I, I ended up cutting and, and going a different direction. I wanted to talk about what is it that creates that bond in that agape love society. Uh <clears throat> and I, you know, I've I've done a lot of uh, thinking about this. <clears throat> and the best thing that I found is um there's a, a professor at Yale, and I think he's passed away now, but his name is Robert Sternberg. And I don't remember where I found it. I wish I had this. I think it was like an interview that he had or an article that he wrote or something like that, where he was talking about uh, doing marital counseling. And uh, what he found was that, uh, you know, he would, he would, meet these couples and he would get to know each person in the relationship. There'd be Todd and there's Margo and Todd has a certain personality and Margo has a certain personality. And, and you, you kind of, you talk to them one-on-one and they're, you know, you get to know them, you know, and for a, a lot of relationships, that's what you get. You get these two personalities, but sometimes he said, uh, the relationship was really good. And there was something about the relationship where not only did you have Todd and Margot, 
But when they were together in the room, it was almost as if there was this third person there. And so he devoted a lot of time uh, and research and study trying to figure out what creates that dynamic, what creates that that bond, that third thing. And um, and he developed uh, what's known as the Sternberg triangulation model. And it looks like this. <clears throat> and what he found, and you don't have to remember all of this, it just kind of shows the unifying potential of love relationships. But he said that when when couples uh, had really good intimacy where they trusted one another and they could share things with one another uh, and not feel like that was threatening or anything like that, and when they were committed to one another, they didn't worry about the other one leaving them or anything like that. They just trusted in each other's commitment to one another. And when they had this passion and delight in one another, what he found is that when all three of those aspects were humming along, uh, what happened is it created this this sense of bond. And he called it this consummate love, where the two create this third oneness, this this uh, this uh, kind of like this profound bond like that. Now, he said many relationships didn't have all three. Uh, some relationships just had one that was really strong, and some relationships didn't have any. And um, and that, that sucks. But uh, he said that when you get all three of these together, that's what creates that bond. And what I would argue is that when God is calling us into agape love relationship, when he's calling us into this covenant, this covenant, of course, captures this sense of commitment. And um, and when you enter into agape love, you have this passion and delight for the other, and you have this uh uh, kind of profound security in God's love for you, which means that you can be intimate and vulnerable and not be worried and threatened by anything. And so I believe that it's these agape love covenant relationships that can serve a similar consummate love sort of thing, where the better we get at that and the better our community gets at that, the more unified and the more of a profound bond we can experience. Well, I've talked a lot about a lot of different stuff. I hope that was uh, useful for you. Uh, it was a really fun sermon for me. And, um, uh, you know, let me know what you thought of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing everybody on the chat. Uh, Shana will be back next week and uh, we will talk about next weekend's sermon. Keep praying for Greg and Shelly uh, as they are kind of going through some tough uh, physical things. Um, I, I feel confident that, that he'll be back soon and uh, we'll, We'll be right, but we'll, we're going into this Revelation series, and I don't want anybody else starting this series other than Greg. So uh, he, he's got to get back, and, and I, I trust that with our prayers, uh, he will be back soon and we can get going on that. With that, uh, I look forward to seeing everybody at 4 o'clock, which is right now if, as you're watching this. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have a good way to end this, so see you later.